Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth. We're going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament in the first book of Samuel. We've made it to chapter 19. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So the people were talking about Saul is the king of the Jew, Jewish people, the nation. First one, uh, Jonathan is his son. Um, David is the same uh, David and Goliath David and the, the David and Goliath um, episode has already happened a couple of chapters ago uh, Jonathan is David's soulmate and that's how it's described that they're that close to each other um, they're going to be even closer as the chap as the book goes on um, And um, but David is also Saul's son-in-law so um, that's where we're at at this point in the story. And at, before now, David was um, Saul's um, servant, would play music for him, his musician, to help soothe his soul whenever he was feeling tormented. But since David is becoming more and more popular, Saul has begun to hate him more and more. Because Saul has already been given a prophecy that he's been rejected now from being king by the Lord. Um Samuel gave him that prophecy previously and that someone has already um, been chosen to replace him, but it wasn't revealed to him who. Verse two, so Jonathan told David saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. So again, Jonathan is David's soulmate. It sounds a lot like a lover, especially when they uh, separate it's going to sound a whole lot like they're uh, physically involved or sexually involved, but he's looking out for David and warning him that his father's gunning for him, uh, so to speak. Verse three, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. So Jonathan loves David so much, and love is the word that they use when they describe their friendship, their relationship previously it's not me saying that it's what it says as we've read it um enough he loves him enough that he's even willing to betray the loyalty to his father the king so he's betraying his family and his um his um the government authority um because he feels that strongly about david the, his relationship with david is just that precious to him um, so he's telling David that he's going to see what's up with his father and um, basically act as a spy, an inter intermediary between the two to figure out what he can do for David. Verse 4, thus, David, thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he's not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. So Jonathan is interceding for David with Saul, the king, his father, telling him, don't do him dirty. He hasn't done you dirty, um, which so far seems true. Verse five, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You thought and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Jonathan is reminding his father, Saul, the king, <clears throat> of the fact that David, excuse me, that David was the one who was the one, was the one who defeated Goliath when no one else would or could. And that when it happened, 
his father, the king, saw was happy about it. So why is he all of a sudden got all that salt for uh, David? Verse um, six. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. So Saul in this instance is saying it seems to be agreeing with his son and saying, OK, he's not going to have David uh, assassinated after all. Um, but we've read previously that Saul seems to have some sort of dementia or some sort of mental disorder that causes him, at least the way it reads, to be forgetful of the events that he's already experienced. So just might want to keep that in mind as we keep reading. Verse seven, then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. So David has been taken back into the fold, as it were, and being allowed to be around the king again. And David was first around the king at the king's request, getting him, Saul requested that David be leave his family and be there with him as his musician and personally requested it. But then in another chapter, since then, he forgot who David was and didn't know who he was from. Um, and now he's got uh, smoke for David and didn't want him around. But Jonathan was able to convince him to let all of that animosity go and bring David back. Verse eight, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled from him. So one of the things David is noted for um, in the last couple of chapters is his, um, his uh, valiance at war. And that he's able to not only defeat Goliath, the giant uh, Philistine enemy of the people, but also other battles he's been very uh, successful in waging wars. And um, so it seems that he's uh, done it again. He's defeated the Philistines in another battle. Verse nine. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand and David was playing music with his hand. So that's that same um, distressing spirit would have mentioned previously. It seems to be some sort of mental disorder or mental distress that um, uh, Saul has attacks uh, that he seems to undergo that causes him to lash out and act erratically. It sounds like someone with undiagnosed um, mental disorder, something like manic depressive disorder or something along those lines where he's at ease one minute and acting kind of crazed the next. Um, so, at the, and whenever he'd, he'd get distressed, again, he'd have David play music for him. It would seem to soothe him. So that's what David is doing, playing an instrument his, um, to um, help soothe the king. Um, but what he's doing in this verse is what he's done previously, the king that is, is have a weapon on hand, a spear, and use it, use David for target practice by throwing the spear at him and trying to pin him to the wall with the spear. Um, I don't know if that's what he's going to do this time, but that's what he did previously. So David is playing music for him. Verse 10, then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. So uh, Saul is playing games again with the spear, but David knows his life is in danger. So he's not sticking around to do the cat and mouse thing again. He fled for his life. Uh, verse 11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house. 
um, to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael is um, Saul's daughter, uh, and she's the one who was who David handled 200 penises to get the foreskins of the Philistines to offer them as sort of a dowry for to be able to marry Michael, uh, Saul's daughter. And as always, like I said, if I mispronounce any of these, please forgive me. Um, so um, Michael is very loyal to David, and she's warning him that if he doesn't run for his life, his her father's going to kill him. Even though, again, her father, Saul, just told their, his son, Jonathan, okay, he's not going to kill him. He made it seem like he was at ease and not going to pursue trying to kill David. And yet again, he's trying to kill him. Verse 12, so Michael let, da let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. So um, the king's daughter, Michael, is helping David, her husband, escape from the king's plots to try and kill him. Verse 13, and Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So um, she's looking out for her husband by laying up basically a doll in the bed where David would sleep and using goat's hair to pretend like it's um, uh, David's hair, like a wig basically in the bed so that it would seem to anyone uh, who encountered it that that's her husband laying there in the bed. So one other thing about that, um, goat's hair, depending on the goat, can be straight or it can be super curly. So it could be the texture of white people or it could be the texture of black people. It's not real clear. Um, uh, but usually when you think of sheep, it's usually fluffy like wool. Um, but she, it says specifically a goat. So again, goat's hair could be either one. And I only mention that because again, you should be aware of how people whitewash things. And, and I say people, I mean governments, I mean religion, I mean systems. They like to whitewash things and make and paint a certain picture of things, even if it's not accurate, but just for another cause, such as white supremacy, to make you believe everyone in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation looks a certain way, even though these events are taking place in a part of the world and most people look a certain way. Most people are dark-skinned, especially back then before colonization. Um, most people are dark-skinned in Africa and in the Middle East. They just are. So um, dark-skinned, dark features. So it's very unlikely that um, people there in this narrative at this time um, are blonde and blue. And again, not that it matters to me, but just so you can keep a, a, be aware of how things can get whitewashed. So anyway, um, she's using goat's hair and an image, a doll, basically, in the bed to pretend to be her husband uh, while she sent her husband away to safety. Verse 14, so when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said he's sick. So her father has sent messengers to take her husband, um, but to take him and kill him, not just take him. Um, and she's covering for him, saying, no, her husband is sick. Verse 15, then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. So Saul is so bloodthirsty, he doesn't care that David is, uh, the report that David is sick. He said, okay, let him stay in the sick bed, but bring him on up in the bed and he'll still kill him. Cold-blooded. Verse 16, and when the messengers had come in, 
there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. So they've discovered the trick. They went back, the messengers were sent back. And when they went back, they discovered that it wasn't David at all. It wasn't even a person. It was just a doll, basically, with um, goat's hair for his head to fool them. Verse 17, then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So Michael is looking out for her own neck, saving her own neck and saying, making it seem like David threatened her to, for his own safety and to get away. Um, even though we just read, that's not how it happened at all. It was her idea to save her husband's life. So it worked. Um, but I guess maybe even so that her father won't be mad with her or hold it against her. She's blaming it, blaming it on her husband, I guess thinking, well, he's already mad at him anyway. Why should he be mad at both of them? Verse 18, so David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he said, and he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. So um, Samuel is the prophet, the high priest, as it were, the sort of religious leader of the people at this time. Same one who I mentioned earlier gave Saul the prophecy that there's already a king lined up to replace him because he's failed in the eyes of the Lord and that there was no turning back from it. So David has fled to him and the two of them are um, together at this point. Verse 19, I was told Saul saying, take note, David is at Naoth and Ramah. So now someone's informed on David, reporting it back to Saul of his location. Verse 20, then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. So it seems that um, it's spirit there is capital S spirit. So it um, implies that it's the Holy Spirit, not just someone's own personal spirit that can guide you. Um, but instead, the Holy Spirit that um, seems to have induced the prophets who are uh, around Samuel to be prophesying. And um, it seems that the spirit is catchy so that if, when other people even get near, they also start to prophesy. And um, I guess that brings to mind um, another type of another culture and how the prophecies would happen with them. Um, there's a in history and maybe it's in mythology an oracle as they were also called in other cultures prophets are called oracles in other cultures and then at some point they're going to be called that in the bible also um, the way they would prophesy the one that comes to mind is the oracle at delphi an area um, in the um, uh, europe in europe where people would go to that uh, prophet that oracle and she will prophesy and people believe um, that the way it would was accomplished was that um, there were gases that were in the area that she was at, and that's what would induce the prophecy. So one of the things you could think of as a prophecy would be um, sort of a vision or trance that people would go into and then declare things. Um, and it sounds very similar to um, being high, a euphoria that you might get um, from a psychedelic drug like mushrooms or LSD or something along those lines that would cause you to open up a, a, a extra sensory perception that you wouldn't normally have um, 
be able to perceive. It sounds a lot like something like that. Um, but in this case, it, the prophecies are being attributed to um, the Holy Spirit um, being the one to move the people to be able to um, prophesy, even being in the presence of the prophets and Samuel. Verse 21, and when Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. So it seems that even though Saul's sending these different messengers to do his bidding, whenever they would get in the proximity of the other prophets um, and Samuel, they also would begin prophesying. And the um, thing is, uh, nowhere in the Bible, as far as I know, um, tells what the prophecies of those different people were. Because um, for a prophecy to be uh, truly prophecy, it would have to have come to pass at some point. It would have to be something basically predicted and then um, it come true. Then it would be actually a prophecy. Otherwise, it'd be more, um, more along the lines of um, weather forecasting, um, guessing, or, um, or um, something like that, where you don't actually know it's going to happen. Um, and then you just wait and see if it's going to happen. A prophecy is something that's predicted and then it happens. So without the prophecies being listed anywhere in the Bible, or maybe they're listed in some other ancient document. And obviously I don't, I'm not aware of everything. Um, and maybe they're listed there, but in the Bible, they're not listed what these different prophecies are that the people were induced to make whenever they get around in the vicinity of the prophets and Samuel um, at this point. But it, according to the story, the narrative, that's what's happening whenever he'd send messengers. Verse 22, then he also went to Rama and came to the great well that is at Seishu. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are in Naoth and Rama. So notice how it mentions there that well, and that's a great well, so a large body of water. So um, that's what makes, uh, that also makes me believe, makes Makes me think maybe that's part of what's inducing the prophecies, just like with the oracle at Delphi, like I was mentioning earlier. It's possible that something in those waters or in the um, in the um, air is what's um, inducing those different trances and prophecies uh, here, also. But since people just getting in the proximity of it seems, seems to be enough to induce them to do it. But since it says specifically that it's the spirit of God that's doing it, we'll just leave it at that and not infer anything else. Um, so verse 23, so he went there to Naoth and Rama. Then the spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Rama. So similarly, as the others who he sent before him were um, induced to start prophesying, the same thing was happening to him. And um, the spirit, capital S, is being translated from the word, word Ruah. And um, the word God, capital G, is being translated from the word Elohim, as we've read it before. Although, like we've read before, God, when it's in all caps, as well as the word Lord, when it's all in all caps, translates from a different words, from different words, often Jehovah but not always Jehovah. Uh, sometimes we've read it be L, and um, I seem to recall other names also, sometimes not even names, just the uh, the four letters that signify or, or 
are associated with the name of the Lord, but not spelled out so that it won't be pronounced. Um, so it's not always consistently the same deity that the word Lord is translated back from, just again as a footnote. So the same things happened to Saul. He's been induced to start prophesying also, and he um, continued to, to be able to prophesy on his way up to where he was going to Naoth and Ramah. So it's saying that makes it seem like unless that water um, is covering all of that area or, is, you know, it, unless that same body of water extends to all of those areas, then it probably isn't just um, the air or something in the air causing them to um, be induced to prophesy. But indeed, as it says, the spirit of God inducing them um, whenever they get around that certain area. Why that certain area? It's unclear. Um, verse 24, and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? So um, that's what was said previously also when um, Saul was able to prophesy in Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. Um, the same, something similar happened. Saul was prophesying and people were questioning, oh, was he one of the prophets now too? So um, him stripping off his clothes and prophesying now and laying down apparently publicly. Um, so if you can imagine that, it's he's the king stripping off his clothes and going into a trance prophesying. So if you could imagine the president doing something like that, you could imagine how it would turn heads and make people wonder, well, what's going on? Is he a, suddenly a religious fanatic or what's going on with the king? Why is he walking around naked and prophesying? Um, so that's what has happened to Saul at this point in the story. He's stripped off his clothes, laid down naked. Um, he's in Samuel's presence now, though. So he made it to where he was trying to get to um, and he's prophesying. Um, and that was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you and God bless you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.